good evening, everyone. I hope you had a great week and great nano week. Um, I'm not in my own chat room. Isn't that a shame? I didn't even put the chat room link in the description either. Let me fix that. Um, used all my spoons uh, to go grocery shopping. So I'm a little, I'm a little airhead right now. So you're just gonna have to. Um, hopefully, Jilly will keep me in line. <laughs> That's about all we can hope for at this point. <laughs> Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about characters and unintended consequences. And one of the reasons why this came up for us is we do have a question pending um, in, in progress in um, the writer's table on on Facebook. Um, as, that's our group, our, our writing group, um, talking about uh, inconsistent characterization in NCIS. <coughs> so, I'm sorry. I... I had a piece of popcorn, but right before the music started, and I got a, a hole stuck in the back of my throat. Oh, it's terrible. This is me. This is I'm a hot mess tonight. This is what you can expect. Hello. It's been that. It's been that kind of day, man. It's just a hot mess kind of day. <laughs> it has been that kind of day. I spent, you know, like I deal with stress. I deal with stress by either, um, well, usually by playing some sort of game, but sometimes I deal with stress a different way is I like go and I like decorate things, like lay down road over and over and over again. That's why I was doing massive redecorating in the, in the edit mode in one of the games I play for like two hours, mm. I think. I probably should admit <laughs> that. And it, the game froze before I could exit edit mode and save, so I lost it all. That's all the changes I made. Oh, I I was pissed. I was pissed. So I went and blew some shit up in another game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one must do what one one has to do. I was telling the bitches earlier that I'd gotten a new Bluetooth Bluetooth keyboard because my old one that I had for years, like like, it was a foldable one, I think I've had it for like five years. The end key stopped working. Well, I can't have that. <laughs> I need the end. Uh, it's you, need, you, need all, you need all your keys. <laughs> but I need the end. So I got a new keyboard, and I'm really digging it. Um, what's really interesting about this keyboard is that um, it uh, – my last Bluetooth keyboard, it wouldn't work if it was being charged. I couldn't use it while it was being charged. This new one, I can plug it in and, and type on it while it's being charged. Oh, that's nice. I just went into chat and opened it up. What is going on with that? That's the cover. It folds down flat. Um, oh, cover it okay. And folds I was like, whoops. But it also like does that little triangle thing so that you can make um, a stand for your device. Oh, I was like, your your keyboard has a fin. What's up with that? Is it like is it like it has aspirations of being a shark? I mean, I don't understand. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's that's pretty slick. And it falls okay, down like this little notebook thing. It's a little bit smaller lengthwise than my Kindle Fire. And I have oh, a Kindle. Oh, you know what's really. What's really slick there is that you can um, – it has a key that allows you to switch your operating system to tell it whether you're yes. on Android, Windows, or um, Apple. Very slick. I said Apple because I assume that Apple also includes – it's not just iOS, it's iOS and Mac. That's nice. 
So yeah, it is. It is very cool. And when it's folded over, it's like a little notebook, and um, it's it's got a very narrow, like a thin profile. It has a thin profile, and it actually wasn't. Um, it is a, it is smaller, of course, than your standard keyboard. So if you so if you've got big hands, you might have a problem. Um, but I don't have big hands. We've had this discussion before. Lady Holder called me tiny hands for like a whole quarter afterwards. Um, I think my biggest finger is a size seven, um, and my pinky's a three or a four. So, yeah, I have little hands, and so it, it's, it's not you can't spread out. But if you're out and about and you need to keyboard for a little while, I think it's perfect. So I highly recommend it. It's actually um, for those of you who are in the um, who are on the podcast who don't have a link that I just posted in the chat room. It's called the new Lax- the new Laxi KM12 Bluetooth keyboard. N U L A X Y KM12 Bluetooth, and you can find it on Amazon. It was only twenty bucks. Very slick. I'm very pleased with it so far. I have at least a dozen keyboards. I'd have to spank myself if I ordered another one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, it, it, I have, I have I, two. I have a big one, um, but this is really awkward to put in bags and stuff. Um, and it wouldn't stay linked up to my Kindle. It worked great for my phone, but not my Kindle. And I'm like, well, so no. And then I had my other one, which worked fine, awesome for five years until the end just inexplicably stopped working. I blame Azure for the end key. I think that she like gave you the end key virus or something. You, you shouldn't. Yeah, what, didn't, her, <laughs> didn't her end key stop working? Yes, yes. That's why I said you should not click on dick pics from unreliable sources because you'll get end key virus and then you have to go buy a new keyboard. I can make anything connected. <laughs> Those of you who are on the podcast, I did just put a link um, in the future. For those of you who are listening to this podcast in the future, I did put a link in the description for you for the keyboard if you're super interested. Um, yeah, my she key wore your, doesn't just wear out. I mean, she it's wore your completely gone. She she wore your N key out. That's what that was about. She was uh, transmitting N key usage to you. Mm-hmm. If mine goes out. It'll just be like I will have no. I will prove my theory if my end key stops working. <laughs> my better not and my folded up in my purse. I'm just saying it's terrible. Anyway, the N, the N is nigh. Yeah. Okay. You never know so, how to read the N until you have to copy and paste it. In order to use you it. all, there are no there are no letters on the keyboard that are optional. They all need right? to work. It's not like a it's not like a function key went out that you don't use ever. It's like it's not like you know the F six key was gone. It's like oh well I'll figure out another way to do that. No, it, it all of the letters need to work. <laughs> Just a simple fact. So it's one of those necessary expenses out in life. Is if one of your critical keys, you know, basic punctuation, letters or numbers goes out on your keyboard, you got to get a new keyboard. Because how the fuck is this really with anybody in this day and age without it? <laughs> right. Anyway, I'm really pleased with it. I'm happy uh, with the new one, and um, 
which means it'll probably stop working always- tomorrow. It's always good when you're satisfied with the purchase. It's not like when we got – it was so weird. We both needed a new headset, and we did not consult on this. We independently picked the exact same headset. And I I didn't have buyer's remorse, but I wasn't 100% pleased with it. I think if I had – but it taught me something. It taught me that when this headset goes out that I prefer an over-ear headset, not on-ear. I find the pressure on the cartilage to be – Ear cartilage to be unpleasant. Now, see, I have an overhead, an over ear headset just for like with no mic on it. And right. I really didn't pay attention when I bought these that they were on ear, but now I am vehemently opposed to on ear. <laughs> I will never buy another <laughs> headset. I will never buy headphones of any kind that are on ear ever again. No. My ears are delicate. But it, it, it wasn't, like I said, I didn't have buyer's remorse because it was very, it wasn't a, an extravagant purchase. It was needed. Um, it fit the bill. It actually does a pretty good job of noise canceling, which is pretty astonishing. Um, noise canceling on the microphone, which is pretty astonishing for, for its price point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was like, so for being on the phone and talking on the phone or the podcast, whatever, it's great. But if I want to listen to music, have my headphones on, this is not the headphones I would choose because my ears get sore. <laughs> Right? At the end of a podcast, my ears are hot like what they like they've been tortured. And it's just Yeah, not. they're hot and they're sore, like the cartilage is all sensitive. It's just it's So it's good when you get a purchase and you buy something and you're like, This is perfect. I like this. That's always a good experience. Okay. So somebody somebody posted a question in the writer's table. Um was it yesterday? About yes. that they had wanted, basically that they had wanted to start writing in NCIS. They didn't know the canon. And when they started writing in, um, started trying to write, they felt hampered by not having a little bit more foundation in canon than they had. Uh, I, I don't know if, if they started watching all the episodes or they watched some key episodes, because there are some key episodes in terms of character arcs um, and other episodes are just sort of, you know, crime of the week type thing. Um and she, I think she wanted to get some, like, express her, her interpretation about what she saw in the characters and get some feedback. And, and it got me really thinking about, and I really think what she's doing is an interesting exercise because she stumped on a couple of characters. And NCIS is a particularly interesting example about characterization because they're wildly inconsistent. <laughs> and even when they're not, even when they're consistent, they don't think about the implications of, their characterization choices, and and that's why when we got to talking about what to do for the podcast, I said that that had really been on my mind because um, whether you're building an original character or whether you're working with something in canon is how do you do based upon actions and words and stuff is how do you extrapolate what a character is about based upon what you see or how you build a character and what are the what are the character consequences of plot choices, um, unintended consequences? And Kira and I were even talking about that completely separately. We were talking last night about the unintended consequences of plot choices. Like people make plot choices not realizing that they're turning their character into a sociopath or a serial killer or a criminal. Or uh, It's like, did you mean to, to do that? Was that on purpose? And you can tell it's not on purpose. But that's where this whole idea came from. And now shut up. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. You don't know, and we see this in the MCU, and we see this in NCIS. We see, you know, there, there honestly isn't a, something out there that there, there was a, there wasn't a choice made that was then glossed over so that we was, so as an audience, we're supposed to ignore it and not, you know, point out, say, hey, that was a really stupid, dumb idea, Steve Rogers. Um, and you don't, you know, I don't think that they wanted me as an audience member to come out of Captain America Civil War, or not Captain America Winter Soldier, thinking that Steve Rogers was an idiot and that he had just purposefully exposed hundreds of people to a situation that could get them killed on purpose. And probably he would burned, get them killed. He burned S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. He burned people that S.H.I.E.L.D. was watching. And we know and we know that S.H.I.E.L.D. does that because S.H.I.E.L.D. was watching Peter Parker. S.H.I.E.L.D. was watching um, Daisy, whatever her name is, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Before um, Colson recruited her, he kept an eye on her. So all of that, all of that information that S.H.I.E.L.D. had, that they were protecting individuals who had mutations or special abilities that they were keeping an eye on, were exposed because of what Steve did in Winter Soldier. And I don't think that they Marvel wanted us to come out of that thinking that Steve was a monster. But I did. I... I, I had the same experience, and worse, it took I, my it took my dwindling regard for Natasha, which had been dwindling, um, and it obliterated it because Steve. I found Steve's ignorance almost criminal in 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 CU in in, in Winter Soldier. He was. I I think Shield manipulated him into a position of ignorance, but he accepted that. So that's why I think he he was okay with his ignorance because he just wanted to keep doing what he was doing. And I think that that's where I have a real problem where his ignorance became negligent because the world had changed and it wasn't what he did. He couldn't appreciate the ramifications of what he'd done. I, I have to believe he couldn't appreciate what he had done. But Natasha knew. And she didn't see fit to inform Steve about the consequence, what they're about to do. She was burning her own coworkers, people she had worked with, people potentially who had saved her life or whose lives she had saved, and she was exposing including them all. And she, Clint Barton including Barton and Clint Barton's wife. Right. And she, 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 she came out to me worse than Steve because Steve's ignorance, like I said, was almost criminally negligent. But hers... What she did with her not telling him the consequences of what they had done was inexcusable. She came out completely irredeemable from that point on when she failed to tell him, we can't just dump this on the Internet. Dump it on the CIA if you want. Dump it. She, she had choices. Give it to Tony Stark. Do something with it besides just dump it on the public Internet. Another government agency would have been an infinitely better choice, and she should have had the contacts to make that happen. I don't know why Fury, Rogers, and Natasha weren't all arrested for espionage and treason. I don't because either. Because every single one, 
All three of them were involved in the purposeful release of top-secret information. They should have all been in jail. Well, and then Natasha went before Congress and basically told them to fuck off. You need us. Um, And the thing is, the show's writers, creators, not show, the movie's writers, creators, they expected us to buy that whole line, right? That this is all avoidable. It was. Right, that we were supposed to just buy that, and this is a case of where you—they, to me—they had dramatically failed to suspend this belief that in any way was that an unavoidable outcome. It was completely avoidable because the fact that they—the thing is—they acted insular. They like the, the thing is it, they, their own reasoning had logical fallacies in it. Shield, Shield has all this top secret super stuff. We can't go to the FBI or the CIA or NSA or anything like that. We can't do that because this is Shield super secret shit. But let's dump it on the internet rather than call the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, or Homeland Security. That makes no it's sense. It's dumb shit. It's it dumb. Makes, I mean, and the, Natasha especially should have been able to find contacts to dump that data to without making it public. And there still would have there would have been quiet hearings behind the scenes about what Shield had done, and about the infiltration of Hydra and were their secrets exposed, and it would not have put hundreds, potentially thousands of people at risk. At now, risk. there are I think I've read some stories where um, like Tony Stark intercepted all that. Giving it to Tony would have been a better choice, but I've read stories where he like intercepted the data. He figured out what they were doing and stepped in and took over. And that is a much better outcome. But in that case, that's a fix-it for the data breach. It doesn't do anything to fix Steve and Natasha, whose characterization was ruined by those events. I would like Jarvis to do it. Jarvis is going about his day doing his, his thing, and he sees this information hitting, and he grabs every bit of it and just kind of tucks it away. Tony wakes up the next day, you know, give me our agenda, what are we doing today? And so Jarvis just starts, you know, rattling things off. He says, oh, and I have all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s data. What would you like me to do with it, sir? (laughs) (laughs) And then Tony could call Steve Rogers and say, what the fuck were you thinking? You need to bring your ass over here to the, we we have a talk. Come, Come, we have a talk. And then finally, Steve gets his come to Jesus meeting and he figures out, just how fucked up S.H.I.E.L.D. has made him. And then Civil War doesn't happen. There you go, Marvel. Right, because I don't, it for you. Yeah. I don't think Civil War would happen if Steve were better informed about the world. Um, and if he and Tony it, it hadn't just stated odds through everything. Um, but... There were problems. There were little glitchy problems um, all through the through the canon, but that right there, they they made plot choices that ruined two of their heroes, and that is never the object of of the objective when you're writing, is to an unintended an unintended consequence of your plot decision is that you fuck up your characterization in in an epic way. It's bad enough when you don't consider the the, the you know the, the like actual consequences of a choice, but 
when it ruins your character, when it makes your character a murderer or a sociopath, or it's like, wow, they would, that's some depraved indifference right there. Um, that can, that more so than a plot hole for, for me, that can ruin a story completely is when you un- or ruin a character. Un- yeah. Unintendedly ruin a character. When, when, when you're so aren't paying attention to, and I, the MCU, I think, was such a brilliant idea what they did with the whole with the going with the universe, and then they took the first Avenger and they took the only um, woman on the Avengers and they made them both monsters. And I was like, "Wow, really? <laughs> That's you're what you really wanted to do?" And then they tried to play it off like that everybody thought that that was cool and that Steve and Natasha weren't horrible for what they did. Well, so, I'll go yeah, back to so, GIS. The mother of all fucked up things that never got addressed again in unintended consequences will always be dead air to me in NCIS. Um, Followed closely by the fact that Ziva committed espionage and still got to become a citizen. You know, that one too. But for me, Dead Air was the kicker. Because Dead Air was such a... It was so depraved that at that point, I hadn't really decided whether or not I liked McGee. I mean, I used to like him and then he was an asshole and then I was like, uh, you know, okay... But at that moment, McGee stopped being a decent person to me, and I found him difficult to watch. So much, in fact, that I skipped the episode where he guest starred on NCIS um, New Orleans. Yeah, I just I, I could never be objective about McGee after that point. Because like you said, he would kind of go up and down in my esteem as the show. Like, I really couldn't stand him early season five. I thought he was awful. Um, I'm sorry, early season four. But by season five, he was getting a little bit better. Season six, he was pretty much okay going into season seven. Like, so I was kind of, I had a little bit of a roller coaster with him as a character, but he a, he wasn't, his characterization wasn't as all over the place as everybody else's was. It's just they hadn't really finished fleshing him out, and he was a little bit too much of a blank canvas, and when when he was an ass, he was really an ass, you know. So I was on the fence, and then Dead Air happened. I'm like, not on the fence. <laughs> nope, I I'm done. Trying, I, mean, I, I, fork I kind me. of tried. I tried to write off what he did with the book as being ignorance and um, naivete, but um, I don't know. I just, then my perspective about it was different after I, after dead air, you know, at that time in my life, I was watching NCIS every week with the friend, the friend I spent the most time with like in person um, was a police officer and we would watch NCIS every week. And one of the things that she promised not to do uh, was, um, point out the procedural inaccuracies because I'm like, yeah, I know you're going to ruin this show for me if you keep pointing out the procedural inaccuracies. And we watch that episode and we get to it at that point. And I had to hit pause and we just looked at each other and, and she said, I don't think I can watch this show anymore. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I, she was so flummoxed 
buy the whole thing. She's like, did they really just admit that they they turn their com- comms off? I don't understand. You can't do that. <laughs> so it right. Was, it was um yeah it was, <laughs> but it says a lot that that choice that decision that was intended to give a funny line right ha uh-huh. ha not even a big funny moment a tiny funny moment ruined it 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 made two characters it gave them a, basically you have a dereliction of duty issue you have a criminal negligence if Tony had gotten hurt it was just it was such a a telling moment about their character. And yet the creators of the show want you to disregard it. But they have that same thing. That was like a big significant moment. But with Gibbs, it's dozens of tiny moments and not so tiny moments. He lets people that are close to him get away with murder. And that's the truth. That's what happens on the show. A Um, lot. More than one. And yet... If you ask people what Gibbs, if you ask people to describe Gibbs' character, they would probably tell you that he's concerned about justice, that he's passionate about getting justice for the victims, da 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 da. How in the world is that in any way consistent with a man who lets his mother-in-law or Mike Franks or anybody he just happens to be on Gibbs' favorite list get away with killing somebody? How does that work? It's just, it's so it's so utterly bizarre to me the way Gibbs. Also, I mean everything about Gibbs. They want to show they they want to portray Gibbs. They will tell you that Gibbs. You know, he he's about he likes military discipline. He respects the chain of command, and yet all of his actions with his civilian chain of command. He's very respectful with military officers, but his actions with civilian chain of command is very disrespectful. Which tells you he has, which to me, you know, I to me that informs me that he is has no regard for a civilian chain of command. That it is not it is not val- valid in his mind, or not valuable, or not worth paying attention to. He only does what he has. He only does what he's told to do because um, he has no choice in some cases. But a lot of times he just does whatever the fuck he wants anyway, and there are never any consequences. I got I got into discussing um, – well, Vance came up in this thread in the writer's table. But I got to discussing the Tyler Owens issue with somebody, and they had pointed out that it was never clear in the episode whether or not – it was never explicitly said that Vance was Tyler Owens. Um, but here's the reason why I was pretty, the implicate, this is where, again, plot choices have an unintended consequence on characterization. Vance and Gibbs had been at loggerheads the whole series, pretty much up to that point and beyond. And yet Gibbs knew something. It was clear Gibbs knew the truth about which way it was Gibbs knew. The audience didn't know, but Gibbs knew. And then not, what was a couple seasons later? season later, Vance is the one who buries the ballistics report that would have implicated Gibbs in a murder. Right. So that is why I assume Vance is Tyler Owens, because why would he have buried that? 
Vance was not the kind of guy to play fast and lose with the rules. And all of a sudden, the guy who's the biggest pain in his ass, he's covering up for the fact that Gibbs committed murder. Well, to me, that sounds like he's protecting his own ass. But also, I think that it might be in that one instance, him and Gibbs have common ground. Because given the the opportunity, really, that's right, you're right. It all merges together for me. It's about a season before Jackie died. Well, Abby, Abby submitted the report. She didn't tell anybody, and she didn't question. Um, the only reason the report even existed is because Abby submitted it. Gibbs told her to do what was in her, what her conscience told her she had to do, and she submitted the report. Now, she never followed up on what was happened with that report, and she never questioned it going missing. But she did submit it because Vance had it, and Vance buried it. So Abby's less on the hook in that regard to me than, than Vance is because she followed through and submitted the ballistics report as she was required to. Um, but it just is. She probably uh, also should have, when it didn't come up again, send that same report to Internal Affairs or that guy. What's that guy? You should, the guy that does the internal investigation? Inspect, Inspector General. Inspector General of the Navy. No, I don't think JAG... JAG doesn't investigate NCIS. It's Inspector General. Does JAG do investigations or just prosecution for them? Well, JAG is actual military, right? They're actually part of the Navy. NCIS is a civilian organization, and so is the Inspector General, which is probably why they do um, any investigations. Any... uh, the IA of, of of a civilian agency is going to be a civilian agency. They're not going to give a military organization oversight over a civilian agency. They do the other way, but uh, I think he was active duty. Yeah, yeah. Which means that Mike Franks probably should have arrested his ass instead of recruiting him. But again, it was at, that's up to NCIS to investigate. It wouldn't be JAG investigating. <clears throat> if if somebody's going after somebody Gibbs for his military time, it would be NCIS. If somebody's going after Gibbs for his time as an agent, it would be the FBI. Any crimes committed by um, a federal agent are the purview of the FBI. This is the crazy shit you have to research when you – well, not have to. A lot of people don't because I read a lot of inaccuracy. <laughs> um, but this is the shit I wind up researching because I started writing NCIS. I don't think he was because I think – I don't think he was NIS when he executed Hernandez because basically he comes back. He's on leave, I assume. Um, for because his family he died and he's been weapon. injured. Yeah, and, and well, he still got a service weapon anyway. Um, or does he? Because he was still using that gun. But and he's, you know, That's Hernandez can't. He, Frank's Frank's anybody boss else is would, only witnesses would break down a murder weapon and get rid of it. No, I'll just keep it. Okay. 
Well, he and that he used his service weapon anyway. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just go buy another sniper rifle? Because so he didn't give a shit about getting caught. Because he he didn't give a shit. Yeah, but he would he would have still been in the reserves. Cause I think I think NCIS starts when Gibbs Gibbs is a reservist. So um, Gibbs, I, not, I think Gibbs is still a reservist when N, even though he's with NCIS. I think at least at the start of the show he's still a reservist. So. Um, Anyway, it, but it's just Abby. Anytime if Abby ever and Abby would know this, Abby would know the procedure for a suspected um, for any kind of suspected malfeasance on the job should go to the office of the inspector general. She would know that. So if her report went missing or it never, nobody ever said anything about it, or you know Gibbs was never arrested, then. Um, she should have forwarded the report to the Office of the Inspector General. Clearly, she was not that interested in what happened with that report. But she didn't want anything to happen to Gibbs. She was torn. So she basically abdicated her responsibility in that situation to Vance, and Vance chose to bury it. And, and that's Vance where, did what again, he does. And when Vance did that, when he buried the evidence against an agent who was basically a royal pain in his ass, who clearly didn't respect Vance at all, had no regard for the chain of command, and was a big, um, was a favorite of Seknav, which is why nobody had really been able to get rid of Gibbs up to that point. When he had the opportunity to do something about Gibbs, he chose to protect Gibbs, which makes you think that Gibbs has something on Vance. Mm-hmm. So, all of these kinds of choices, they have consequences when you make plot choices without thinking about the ramifications of, on the character. True. I agree that Gibbs didn't care about the consequences of his own life, but let, so let's talk about Gibbs not caring about the consequences to himself. Um, what that says about him, with him choosing to use his service weapon. Let's say he had killed himself, okay? He now has shown disregard as well for Mike Franks. Now, do I think Mike Franks deserved to be protected? No, but that's not the point. Mike, there's no way that Gibbs would know who to shoot if Mike Franks hadn't told him who to shoot. So if he had put a bullet in his head and used his service weapon to kill this guy, it was all going to come right back to Mike Franks' doorstep. So they may have intended to show that Gibbs didn't care about his own life, he just wanted revenge, but he apparently didn't care about anybody else's life either. And Mike Frank clearly cared about his job because Mike wouldn't have given that information to Gibbs if he was willing to give up his own job. If Mike was willing to become a killer himself and he didn't want it done in secret, he would have killed Frank's he would have killed Hernandez directly. But Mike Frank struck me as somebody who did not tolerate losing. No. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that he had killed more than one suspect. 
Because he couldn't find the evidence to convict them. Mike Franks was the kind of guy who'd have been okay with Old West Justice. You know, he'd have been okay with, oh, we think you stole somebody's cow. We're going to shoot you behind the barn. I mean, that's the kind of guy he struck you as, right? Right. And when you, when, and we're talking about canon, we're talking about canon writers, you know, the writer, show writers, movie writers who make choice, plot choices without pausing to consider how it reflects on their character or not caring that it reflects poorly, whatever. Or maybe they think that you'll, they'll, you'll believe the interpretation they tell you rather than what you're seeing for yourself. But whatever it is, that's a case of where this is happening in canon. When you're writing in fan, people, fan fiction writers do this too, obviously. It's not like it's, a, it's unique to content, you know, the original content creators. Um, this happens in original fiction. People unintentionally make their characters sociopaths, and, and they don't even see it. Um, but certainly the same thing, and this is kind of should be like a cautionary tale to fan fiction writers, is when you're working with an established character – is not is, is look at the, those kinds of things and consider you've got lots of evidence and lots of examples of how this is is done, how bad plot choices have affected a characterization. Is to consider when you're doing your own writing and you're plotting, is take a step back and think through the ramifications of what does this choice say about my character, what does this response say about them. A Tony who walks out of NCIS because he's angry and sends classified information to a reporter or um, a cop buddy or whatever, what does that say about Tony? You're nothing good. Nothing, yeah, really nothing good. Um, Tony who gets fed, I'm, I'm fine with Tony getting fed up. Most people don't have a usually people who have a moment of instant change, like, okay, I've had enough, it's under extreme duress. It's like situation is just just outrageous and they just get pushed way too far because that kind of incremental thing, it's very hard to just suddenly, most people don't do a pivot when things are kind of the way they always are, an abrupt pivot. But anyway, but assuming you find a, a way that Tony would just be in the bullpen one day and get fed up and go, I'm done with this shit. And again, the reason I mentioned the other part is it's, there, it's, a difficult, it's difficult to come up with a scenario that makes sense where something that could be happening at work that wouldn't get people fired over would be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, but anyway... Um, what does it say about his character? Let's say he has that moment where he just goes, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving. Um, let's say he has that moment. What does it say about him if he is verbally abusive to people on the way out the door? What does it say about him if he's throwing papers and office supplies on his way out? What does it he's say about He's a fucking child. He is a big fucking oh. man baby. That decision big to have him throw a tantrum. Yeah. To have, have him throw a tantrum in the bullpen. Real life consequences would be that he would never get a job in law enforcement again, because that kind of shit gets around. And you don't want to give an asshole with a 
well, you shouldn't want to give an asshole with a temper problem a weapon. And right? most, most federal, yeah, most federal law enforcement, you know, if if you show that you can't control yourself, they're going to get you a psyche bell, not hand you your gun. Now, I assume there's a lot more variability from in police jurisdictions, but at, at the at the federal level, if you have a tantrum in the office, nobody's going to feel comfortable with you picking up your your gun and going out in the field. It just doesn't work that way. So anyway, so it's just when you're when you're making choices about what your characters are going to do, and even to a degree what canon you choose to preserve, it, it whether you intend it or not, it, it it affects your characterization. So if you're writing a, I think if you're going to write a a positive a Natasha positive story that occurs post Winter Soldier, and have the events of the Winter Soldier remain intact. You need to have had her under the control of the, the the scepter or something because that just doesn't jive. I don't know how you write a Natasha positive story that occurs after Winter Soldier and not have some kind of retconning of those events. Because not only does she do this, but there's even a moment when she basically tries to whore herself for S.H.I.E.L.D. to control Steve. And I don't think it really gelled in my mind what she was doing until we opened with um, the next Avengers and she's with Bruce. I was like, oh, well, at least she found somebody to control with. And then the thing is, they didn't just stop there. It's not like they had one misstep with her. With her. They kept misstepping from that point forward, in my opinion. Because, I mean, as angry, as annoyed and upset as I get about what she did in Winter Soldier, to me that was like, it was like a death knell on her being a good guy. But I just kind of walked out and went, wow, they really weren't thinking about what they were writing. Um, But what she did to Bruce in Age Mm. of Ultron, inexcusable. Mm. Inexcusable. I lost I, all interest in ever seeing a Black Widow movie at that point. Done. Yeah, like no. I don't ever want to. I don't want to see her on the screen in a positive way. I just kind of close my eyes and pretend like she's not there during um, Infinity War. Honestly, I just wouldn't it have been nice if she fell to dust and Groot stayed. I mean, <laughs> yes. Like literally anybody <laughs> said. Um, it's just, she's just, mm, that just, what she did to Bruce. It, 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 in in, a, in that movie, he had already basically been mind, mind raped by the Scarlet Witch. His big fear that the Hulk, the Hulk could, that Hulk could cause incredible damage if he ever got loose was realized. And people died. And, Bruce wasn't actually responsible, but it's not going to change the way he feels about it because Bruce is actually fundamentally a good guy. And it doesn't matter that he didn't have free will when that happened. 
All that mattered was that this part of him killed people. Um, that a part of him was capable of killing people physically, had that capability, and there was no way to contain him. He saw himself, but he'd always seen himself as a threat, and now that evident proof was that he never wanted to be in that position again. And so then you come along, and they, Natasha decides that they need the Hulk, and Bruce says no, and she forces it. She forces it. After they've, in a position where they've kind of basically brainwashed Hulk into being controllable by her. So it was just a big mind rape thing. Yeah, because when Hulk With, crawls back up and he sees her, he smiles. He's happy to see her. Yeah. And I don't think, he, I think that by the end of it, Hulk has realized what she did to Bruce. And I think that's why he flew away. She realized that he he realized that she used the Hulk against Bruce. When the Hulk's whole reason for being is to protect Bruce. So how did he protect Bruce? He took him off the planet through a wormhole to another world. And Bruce curled up inside the Hulk and went to sleep for two years, or ever how long it was. Yeah, and I think he was that devastated by what had happened that he allowed that to be. And 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 then worse, worse is you come into um, Captain America: Civil War. We don't know where things really stand at the end of Age of Ultron, but you come into Civil War, and they have put this woman who has done this to Bruce, who at this point is missing. Right? They can't find. Bruce. They, the Quinjet. Even if it either, I mean, the last time they saw him, Hulk is at the is at the is at the stick of a Quinjet, which they have to have. They said they can't track it while the cloaking is enabled, but conceivably, if he crashed it, the cloaking would disengage. So they have to find it mysterious that that Quinjet never pops up on the radar, never. And what do they do? They put the woman who mind raped him in Johannesburg on the team. Mm. on the team and made her a team member. Like, even if for some reason you buy into the whole she wasn't responsible for anything she did working for Hydra, which I don't get that argument at all. She she wasn't working. Ultron wasn't even a thing when she did what she did to Bruce. And his teammates, who were supposed to um, be helping... Hulk under control to keep Hulk from hurting people, probably the reason why he agreed to that whole hypnosis brainwashy thing that they were doing. His teammates put the woman who mind raped him into murdering people on the team. I mean, what kind of fucked up shit is that? And the creators probably didn't, the writers of the movie didn't want you to draw those conclusions. But how can you not? Right? It's so infuriating. And none of that is is fan and interpretation, right? That's just logical, deductive reasoning based upon what's in canon. Which is where sometimes fan fanon jumps off from is, you know, canon writers do make 
fail to appreciate the consequences of their actions, and uh, fan fiction writers go, "I gotta fix that shit. I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta, gotta point that shit out in a 200k novel, explaining how dumb right. you were for doing that shit." <laughs> but I love you. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I think every fan, I think every fan fiction that exists should be tagged with "I'm not bitter." <laughs> well, there are some. There's some fan fiction you know what? that is. Oh, we're all bitter. <laughs> we're all bitter. Yeah. That's well, what it boils down to. Well, but there is some fan fiction, I think, that is kind of like an homage to how much somebody loves a show or a movie. Um, where you know they have nothing. They have no beef with canon. They just want to keep continuing the storyline. Um, you see, I think you see a lot of that in Inception. Um, certainly, what I mean, Babylon Five is a tiny, tiny fandom because it, it's like, what more can you do, right? And I think what's there is like a tribute to it more than you know bitterness. But most of it, I would say, ninety percent <laughs> of fan fiction is born out of. But I'm not bitter. Yeah, I am. I, I'm exceedingly bitter. I'm all the bitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, somebody pointed out, Kylia pointed out in the chat room that um, that it was arguable that she was resp- was at least partly responsible for Ultron. Ultron came into being because of a sort of a confluence of events. You had, you know, Bruce and Tony had done, you had the hammer, um, you had the scepter, and you had Wanda providing the paranoia, probably for both at least Tony, but probably Bruce and Tony. And they don't they go into that a little bit with Tony that he had those visions. But Bruce I Bruce had to be desperate for a um a, a sort of a more of a robot legion that could handle more of these critical incidents that would make him being out in the field less necessary. I mean his impetus to create Ultron was significant as well and and Wanda had to have played a part in his motivation too so she was at least somewhat responsible for the creation of Ultron and yet Canon just let's make her part of the team and let's you know after everything she did let's just put her in bed with Vision yeah because that's appropriate I mean I think of Vision Vision is what's left of Jarvis so Vision is like at least Tony's grandson, but maybe his son, depending upon how you look at things. And um, the woman who mind raped Tony is his lover. That's gross. That's really gross. I don't know how Vision doesn't resent the fuck out of Wanda. I don't either. Because he is the remnants of Jarvis, right? Yes, and Jarvis was He's very loyal to Tony, so yeah, I do consider Vision to be essentially a child, and so 
um, just like I consider the Hulk to be essentially a child. And, um, yeah. There's such a thing for there's such a thing as emotional intelligence that they should be considered when it comes to a character like Vision or the Hulk, and it's not. No, it really isn't. Right, you're right, Kyla, because the Wanda from the comics is not the Wanda from the MCU. Um, the Scarlet Witch in the comics is the daughter of um, Magneto. Magneto. Yeah, and she's a mutant. She's not something that was created by uh, one of the Infinity Stones. Um, the same with her brother. That uh, They were both mutants, and they were both children of Magneto. And that relationship with Vision wouldn't have been abusive in the comics. But in the MCU, we understand why Wanda is not a mutant, because the X-Men and the MCU shall not meet. But... They should have abandoned the vision relationship. They shouldn't have done it. It's a bad idea. No. Very. <clears throat> Which is why people then, it's funny, people will then go and say, okay, I'm going to explain these inconsistencies by having Wanda be using her powers to control the team and even control vision. She's using her magic to make the team accept her. When you see that in fan, fan fiction, it's becoming kind of a trope, right? And it is a way to explain those characterization and plot inconsistencies that the MCU is rife with. And yet, people will get so bent about that interpretation of Wanda. And I do think they're holding on to the comics interpretation of Wanda. And they just need to let that shit go, because it's not the same character. Let it go. I won't sing, I promise. <laughs> I just had to get it out. <laughs> I was I was I was mad. It was a moment. For like two days. So like two days I was singing sound of music songs. It, you know. Well, I it was not, not just even one. Sorry. It was not just one. Last night it was Edelweiss for like two hours. I even I was even singing it and I don't sing. I just was like I'm gonna I'm gonna sing it. It could have been the other one. It was all of them. What are you talking about? It was all of them. It was like the whole fucking soundtrack for two days. Look, there's something wrong with the sound music, sound music soundtrack. That's some boss ass shit. You're welcome. Yeah, boss ass earworms. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been Gangnam Style. <laughs> no, girl, what's wrong with you? Don't do that to me. Or the Macarena. Count yourself lucky. Go listen to some more Julie Andrews. It'll be fine. Speaking of the Macarena, I wrote a scene in a story where Tony Genozo teaches you and Dummy to do the Macarena. Yeah, they only got one arm, right? <laughs> they each need they each need an arm. You know, it's it's kind of a joke to make Tony Stark laugh, but yeah, he teaches he teaches them to do the Macarena. So Tony Stark comes home from a trip and his the music comes on, his bots start. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, no. Don't, we don't <laughs> no. need earworms. I'm gonna I'll get mean. You don't want me to get mean. 
I learned to be earworm mean from Senna, so seriously, don't. <sighs> she's just she's going to go there. She's just going to go there. <laughs> I think you could expect war in the in the in the private chat later. <laughs> You'll only have yourself to blame. Lord, <laughs> I, I think I, I don't think you did. <laughs> okay, okay, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at the um, canon, the, the, the canon in the MCU can be just down, just just infuriating if you follow the logical consequences of actions and characterization and um, can make you hate characters, um, characters that you love. Um, I've never seen um, the new Spider-Man movie. Um, I'm not going to because apparently uh, Tony makes some stupid decisions and I just don't want to be exposed to it. Tony fucks up in epic ways. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, and the thing is their plot depends upon Tony providing the, you know, the the emotional, the the internal motivation for Peter Parker. Tony's fuck up to provide the internal motivation for Peter Parker. Without that, there's no plot. So the plot hinging on... um, The plot hinging on that is, it's terrible. I'm just going to even look at the chat room as long as earworm war is going on. Um, yeah, I I, I also am, wasn't ready for, a, I had other issues with that movie. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for a 15-year-old Peter. <laughs> just. Um, I'm, I was like, no. I know people were really jazzed about it. It's like, oh, and, and, and you know, they really liked that interpretation of Peter, him being so young, and it wasn't quite an origin story, but it was close. Um, I just, have, I've been ready for quite a while for, for you know, Spider-Man to be out of high school. <laughs> yeah, right. Movie where I, he was getting him. I, I wanted to be able to smoke to dope and hang out with Deadpool. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Man, um, I'm tired. He's cute, but I'm tired of Spider Boy. Yeah, Spidey Teen isn't isn't doing it for me. Um, so I just I need I was ready for something a little bit different, and they gave me a, an even younger Spider Man than we've had in the past, and even more naive, and even more. Um, I enjoyed him in Infinity War, but it's just. I just can't deal with him as a central character because. Actually, in Infinity <sighs> War, I was furious. I was like, that is. Why are you taking that child to space and letting him fight in. Um, well, he took himself to space. But, that's true. He um, did take himself to space, but. Tony did try to get him it, off with the babysitter. You know, so, yeah, I get it. Um, I'm, I'm not mad about that, but I am. I am mad about what they did. I, the writers, I, 
but you know what it represents to me in a in a in a way it is it is horrifying um but the the dusting of peter parker stands out in um infinity war because it highlights the fact that thanos did not make any consideration for age which means that thousands of millions of infants and children were probably dusted as well. Yeah. Well, Groot was a Peter teenager. Wasn't an adult. He too. Yeah. So right. Groot was also a teenager. Um, so it highlighted that Thanos made absolutely no consideration for age. And in, and in, in that moment, I was, I have never been so horrified in a movie in my life. I was like, oh. Because can you imagine being a parent and go, going well, to get no, your I mean, kids in the... I don't. Th- I mean, that didn't bother me because I felt like that it would have been worse if it had only been adults that disappeared. I mean, if half the population right. disappeared and it had only come from adults, that actually, I think it would have been people might have felt less traumatized at first. Until there are way more children in the world who need to be cared for, and you've got you know three and a half billion adults have disappeared. Right. Yeah. But still, I just thought just just the knowledge that. Oh, it's terrible. I think it was, I think it was intended to be that horrible, but the, it it was clearly indiscriminate. Um, but I do think they did a good job of showing that it didn't matter who you were, what you were, that whether you were rich, poor, child, adult, king, you know, you, you it didn't you, matter. They just but the dude Russo was that the dude in charge of the MCU Russo. Um, you realize that Thanos, and this is the part that is stupid, that Thanos, okay, Thanos' whole goal was to get the Infinity Gauntlet and to reduce the population to to create peace and wealth in the universe so that there would be enough for everybody to go around because there would be fewer people, right? But so the thing is, is he also took half, he killed half of life in the universe per the MCU director guy, whatever his name is, um, confirmed on Twitter, which means he killed plants and animals too. So he also reduced resources by half. So he literally did nothing but murder billions of people for nothing. Right. But it, it also, I mean, if you think about it, if you take half of the, like, the bacteria out of the world, half the insects, I'm pretty sure you destabilize ecosystems doing that. Yeah, you would. It could be a planet killer. Removing half of life could be a planet killer. You can't just take half the life out of the ocean, half the life out of lakes and ponds and the earth, and go, oh, everything is going to function and function better. Because it's not just about the fact that there's less half less cows and half less chickens. We can get by on that. But when you take out the you know the building blocks of, of an ecosystem and you reduce it by half all of a sudden, and there's the same amount of water and there's the same amount of land, but the ecosystem is going to be thrashed. It just doesn't work that way. So some planets would probably completely, over a relatively short period of time, probably life would just start dying off completely. So I think that if whoever asked him that question about life, they should have said, no, it was just sapient life. <laughs> because it, the implications of all life, it, it's it's not good. Which basically means that he destroyed the universe. I mean, um, because um, you're right. 
ecosystems are actually kind of fragile. Um, and they require um, balance and indiscriminate removal of half the life of the universe does not equal balance. No, it's the exact opposite. It's complete chaos. Yes, the comic motivations were much better. They, the thing is, the comic motivations would not have allowed you to sympathize with Thanos and they wanted you to. They wanted you to at least understand him, and the comic motivation of him courting death would have just seemed... I think it would have been an eye roller, eye roller, but at least it wouldn't have resulted in the destruction of the universe. Um, I actually think his comic book motivations are more compelling because we all do fucked up things for love. I mean, so that actually would have humanized Thanos to me. But what he's done instead was mansplain half the universe away. <laughs> I told everybody this would happen if they didn't listen to me, and they didn't listen to me, and now my whole planet's dead, and now I'm going to show the whole universe that I'm right. He mansplained us. Into yeah, it's not enough. It's not enough for him just to to correct correct things on his own planet. He has to go correct it on the whole universe, um, right? So, but I think they were trying to give him a tragic backstory with the idea that that would be more relatable than just some fool in love with a woman who doesn't want him. Girl, I am rolling my eyes so hard right now. Alt-Me is having um, a latte. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't see you. Well, yeah. Alt-Me is still drunk from that crap last night, you know. (laughs) I I went rolling through there with my eye roll of doom all pissed off and she picked up a bottle of vodka and carried on the torch for me. <laughs> yeah, we saw something so stupid last night. For those of you who've never heard that before, that we rolled our eyes so hard we saw an alternate version of ourselves in another universe. <laughs> they were getting drunk. <laughs> Which, you know, this is how we stopped. We got tired of saying, I just rolled my eyes so hard I gave myself. We got tired of saying, we rolled, giving up a new way of saying, I rolled my eyes, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. it was like, instead of saying that, we'd go, alt-me. We'd talk about, you know, alt-me is doing this or that. I just saw them <laughs> because, you know, although last night I, I – it's actually, last night it was a case. It was a similar thing. It was a case of unintended consequences from a plot decision that ruined – that basically took a bunch of characters I liked and made them fucking serial killers. Um, and I don't think that was the intention. Mercenary serial and, killers mercenary serial killers um and and ruined one of my absolute my my one of my absolute favorite not the the favorite character in that fandom but my, probably my second favorite character and I have lots of favorite characters in that fandom but these two really much anyway I was it infuriated me I was I'm, I'm like I'm reading along in the story and I get to this thing and I'm like wow they really have no idea what they've just done and it just it made me so mad that all these characters I like are now really vile, horrible, detestable people who just widely run around admitting it. And it just, I just got irrationally angry about it. And so, yeah, I said, you know, 
what Altney was off doing. And she's still drinking. She's still carrying on the torch. That's, I'm convinced because I was that pissed last night. <laughs> it was terrible. I agree that in, sometimes in you see the, something and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't accept it. This is terrible. I I I don't think that that Thanos just felt like the protagonist. I think he was the protagonist in in Infinity Wars. Uh, I think he will be the antagonist in the sequel. But it was his because protagonist. We've talked about everything is point of view, and Infinity right. Wars was Thanos' story. It wasn't about the Avengers because it's not like they had some big moment of reconciliation. It wasn't about Steve and Tony talking to each other because they didn't. It wasn't about Bruce coming to any kind of um, peace with Hulk, because that didn't happen. Hulk's hiding. Bruce is mystified. He's lost years of his life and has no fucking clue what's going on. The only, the character whose story Infinity Wars was, was Thanos's, which means he is the protagonist of that story. It's not just that it felt that way. I think that he actually is. I think he is. And that's why the ending, the movie felt... I actually don't think that he was the villain of the story. So, because it was his story, how can you be the villain of your own story? So you're saying that he will be the anti-hero? Yeah. Well, in his mind, he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll buy it. A point of view is everything. But I will say that while I do agree with you that he is the protagonist, I also think he's the villain. Um... Because he threw his own child off a cliff. <laughs> I mean, he didn't mm-hmm. father her, but he loved her like a father. And he raised her um, after he brutally murdered her mother. Um, so uh, he's still the villain. But in Thanos' story, in the story of Thanos, Thanos would not be the villain. He's a villain. He's a villain in the plot, but he's not. Or he's, his actions are villainous. Um, I think if you're looking at it like this is Thanos' story, what would the villain be? And I think the villain is... um, Ultimately, it was every single person who stood in the way of him getting an Infinity Stone. So, or... um, So, it would be Gamora. Um, Loki had one, and Vision had the other. Um, Stephen Strange had one. So these four are his antagonists. So, and the end of the movie, um, Thanos basically had his boss battle (laughs) and cheated to use the time stone to defeat, um, to get the last stone. So Vision was his boss battle, basically. To use a gamer term. And he leveled up. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He he leveled up and he went out and lived in the country somewhere. Um, But Infinity Wars by itself, I didn't have, there were some things, I had issues with Spidey about his age from from, from Civil War, from what I heard about it. Um, I knew, I understood the idea that Tony needed some more um, superpower 
help when he went to go confront Steve's team in, where were they? I'm blanking. They're in, they're in Germany, right, for that? The airport was in Germany. Um, and so he was looking for people to help round out his team. But it was really kind of inexcusable to me that he took, to me as a child, to that. Because, yes, I think it's true. And I thought it was an interesting fan fiction. Inter- I saw this in the, fan, in the story where basically the interpretation is is that the strongest um, the strongest person on the team, physically, physical strength-wise, is Peter Parker. That he is unmatched in the healing, healing, dexterity, strength, that there is nobody like him. Um, so, so, yes, he, he's a powerhouse, and he was unlikely to get hurt, but he still could have been hurt. Somebody tried to drop a fucking... Um, those... Oh my God! Shipping container. Ship. They totally tried to drop a shipping container on him. So, um, he's a teenager, and it really, again, this is unintended consequences to characterization of Tony Stark that he picked up a teenager. What was? I think he was fifteen, right? And took him to Germany. I think he turned. Doesn't he turn sixteen at some point in this? Because I thought he was fifteen in his own movie. And 16 when he died, when he dusted. Yes, he turns, I think he turned 16 in his movie, and Civil War would have been before his movie. Yeah. So he took it, basically, if I got the dates right, he took a 15-year-old to Germany. Now, granted, Spidey's role was supposed to be just get the briefcase or whatever, but he wasn't supposed to be really getting into the fight. But he still took um, a 15-year-old out of the country without his guardian's permission so everything, and I know people really like, are very, fans love the relationship, the father-son vibe between Ish, I don't want really to think of it as father-son vibe, but that vibe between Peter and Tony. But Tony is portrayed as incredibly irresponsible in every instance where the two of them interact practically. His behavior toward Peter was the most responsible in Infinity War. Everything about how he interacted with Peter was irresponsible to me in homecoming so i think what it boils down to is that tony's never had kids um yeah the closest he's ever gotten is his little robots um and he treated peter like he would have wanted to be treated as a 15 year old genius yep so he treated peter like an adult because that's how he would have wanted to be treated when he was that age and he had no other but maybe through experience and, and getting to know Peter that by the time Infinity War rolled around that he had developed, oh, whoa, whoa, kid, you need to <laughs> get back down to Earth right now. <laughs> you know. I mean, he never so. tried to put Peter in the line of fire directly. That was never his aim. Um from what I've read, because I didn't actually watch all the, all, I've seen scenes from Civil War and I've read the synopsis of it. He didn't actually intend, well, he didn't know there was going to be a battle at the airport. Um, Peter was supposed to do a very specific thing, but he still, he took a 15-year-old to Germany without his guardian's permission, which is a little bit mind-boggling. I'd have been... Yeah. 
When I read stories where where May Parker can't stand Tony Stark, I totally get it. It, it probably isn't the way I would have written things, but I get why somebody would go there. Anyway, so all of these things are in line with what we're talking about, which is where you make decisions in your plot and people don't think through. And this is not like it's an art. Clearly, because we're using canon examples, this is not an artifact of fandom. Um, but what I find to be, I think it's almost, it's almost ironic, is that someone who's writing fan fiction, because they see this inconsistency, they see this poor portrayal of this unintended consequence to a character, and they want to fix it, and yet they do the exact same thing. They make a choice. So they're capable of seeing that kind of ramification. They get annoyed by it. They go to write a fan fiction, and then they do the same thing. So you've gone from making your, your, your character... Um, uninformed and ignorant, and you've turned them into a serial killer. That was the goal? Really? Congratulations. No, <laughs> yeah. So the, the point is to really think about when you make a decision, when you make a choice for a character, when you make a, and not just characterization. That's what we're talking. We're not talking about really characterization choices. We're talking about your plot decisions and the way your character moves through the story that informs the reader about their character sort of subconsciously in ways you don't intend. It's sort of like, um, okay, I'll give you an example. In I didn't, it didn't quite come out explicitly this way, but it was sort of alluded to in in um, in Sentry, if, if those of you read Sentry, there's a scene where um, Hydra is is interrogating Tony, and their incentive they can't torture him because they physically torture him because they need him to be physically as as in good a condition as possible for the experiments as can be. So they torture somebody else to interrogate Tony. Now, Tony, his thoughts about this other than being horrified is that he's relieved at the nature of the questions that they ask him because it's information he can give without worrying. But it's implicit in what he's saying, and it's a little bit what he's not, mostly what he's not saying, that if they had asked him about the secret work that he does, if they had even known about it, which they don't, because his cover was never compromised, that he would not be able to, to give in to their interrogation. So it's implicit he would have had to sit there and let someone be tortured while he refused to answer questions. So harsh. It's harsh, but it informs you something about him as a character that he knows that that's what he would do and what he has to do. So it comes up more explicitly later because he and Steve have a conversation about it later in the story. Um, where Steve, where it comes up that Tony was grateful of the nature of their questioning because he was able to answer their questions. And Steve is like, well, wouldn't you have answered their questions no matter what? And Tony just gives him a funny look. They're like, of course not. They don't give you the job that I have if they think you're going to buckle in interrogation and give away secrets that could cost the lives of thousands to save one. And for Tony, as difficult as it is, he, compart- he has to have good compartmentalization skills. So it tells you a lot about 
how he's a little bit different and how he's changed because of the work he does, that he is prepared to sit there and let someone die rather than reveal things he can't reveal. And he knows this about himself. And it knows that he, he feels like he's capable of doing that, of making that decision. And that tells you something about his character. And you're, even though I don't explicitly come right out and spell all that out for you, you still internalize it and you still make those connections. And he's probably one of the hardest versions, even though he's got a good sense of humor and stuff, he's probably one of the hardest versions of Tony I've ever written because of the nature of the work I choose to get him involved in. Because I just I think, think it's a really good fit, though. Needed. A lot yeah, of times when I, I thought it Tony in an awesome career, I was like, eh, no. But when, it, when I opened up Century and I, started, I was like, yes, this is actually where it, what should have happened to Tony and Karen. He should have been doing this shit because awesome. I was like, yeah. I was totally on board with his new job. <laughs> well, and I do think that he up. is <laughs> I think I think that he can I think because of the way he puts puzzles together and the way he's really intuitive about figuring things out that that does lend itself to kind of creative intelligence analysis. Um and it's something that I don't think um I mean, the fact that he figured out how to find a terrorist training camp based upon iPods and and um soda is, and that's canon. So and he and Abby were working together, but Tony was sort of the creative brain power behind those searches. So he's got a lot of profiling chops that are never explored. They're hinted at, but they're never really explored. So I thought intelligence is a, would be a really good fit for him. But how does that, how would that play out? Because I, I don't see him, even though he's good undercover, I don't see him in the spy kind of role. And that's where I decided to go with it, was that he is part of a top secret, sort of like um, sort of next level intelligence analysis kind of thing. But they don't give you that job if they don't think you're going to be able to keep secret secret. And so his, he would have had to have been vetted pretty hard to ensure that he is going to not compromise critical operations if he's ever caught and interrogated. Which is why he was very upset and is very upset that his team's cover might wind up being compromised because the um, way Nick, to ensure Nick's they don't theory. ever have to be in that right. It's because the way the reason they the way that they don't have to be in that position of having to make that choice of let people get killed in front of you versus letting ten thousand people get killed somewhere else is that their cover remain intact. And that's why he's so pissed off is that Fury attempts, which Fury's not really actually trying to find them. What he's trying to do is figure out who it might be as leverage to get Tony to come work for S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's a manipulative <laughs> tactic. Fury's playing a game with Tony, and it's going to backfire terribly on him. And Tony's, Tony's kind of figured out what Nick is doing, but doesn't change the fact that what he's done means they have to shut Helios down. Oh no! And that's what that's what Tony's working on is shutting it down, because that was one of the prices that he got promises he got got is that in the event there was ever any hint of a breach in his team, that his his team would be made would be kept safe, that they would 
basically be able to move on to different positions. Well, he's gonna he's got a different plan for them that'll come out later. But he's um he's furious at Nick for trying for, for strong trying to strong arm him this way. Um and he knows exactly what Nick Fury's doing is Nick's trying to get leverage. And it isn't gonna work because Leverage doesn't work on Tony. That's one of the reasons. One of the, he, he went through a lot of training to get his position, and you just can't apply leverage to him. So it's one of the reasons why they trust him with the secrets that he has is because he just doesn't put up with shit like that. Because he will. He, would be, he is in that position of where he will let someone in front of him die to save ten people across town or a thousand people on the other side of the world. He's willing to make those numbers calls and he can be, he'd hate himself for it, but he'd still do it, which is why he's where he is. But all of that, even though I don't come right out and spell some of that piece of information out, I'm giving you the clues you need for the reader to draw the conclusions about how his character is different and how he's evolved being in that type of work, because it does change you you the kind of work you do affects you especially that kind of work um so you're drawing conclusions about his personality and what his character is like based on these little clues even if you aren't consciously thinking about it which is why it's important that when you're writing a story you're not putting in stuff that has consequences or people are drawing conclusions that you didn't intend it's like oh did you know that your character just admitted to committing a crime no that's what they did (laughs) they just admitted to committing murder so um yeah, so you just it, it it has to really think through what is ever when you're making your decisions about your plot is what does all of these things that my character is going to do what does that imply about them as a person good bad or indifferent so um and in, in my reading material lately, it's just sometimes you hit a bad run of reading material. I've hit a lot of people not considering some really ugly <laughs> implications from their plot choices. And I was like, okay, <laughs> wow. Is that what you meant to do? Because that's my what you did. Serial killer. <laughs> if you make Tony a if you make Tony a serial killer on purpose, I'm probably going to be there with you. If you unintentionally make him a serial killer, I'm probably not with you. <laughs> so do it with deliberation. Don't do it accidentally. You got to own it. Yeah, I just saw the chat. Lady Hill said that having a high clearance, um, top secret clearance, is a huge responsibility. Um, and it is. And they don't give it to you if they don't think you can handle it. Well, typically. But we'll just talk about it in an ideal world. They don't give top secret clearance, compart- especially like if you're talking about compartmented information. Um, they don't give you that if they don't think you can handle it, the responsibility of your clearance and the information you're going to have. So this is why um, – did you ever see the movie Contagion, I think it is? 
it's contagion. I feel like I want to say yes, but I don't know. It's a, it's a very it's oddly a forgettable movie for it being kind of a, a disease outbreak movie. I've seen it every time I see it. I think I haven't seen it, and then I watch and go, oh yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> I don't know why that movie is so is so forgettable, but it is. It's just it's highly highly no. That's outbreak. Um, Dustin Hoffman and Morgan Freeman. No, Dustin Hoffman and Morgan. Yeah, that's outbreak. Um, no contagion. I do remember contagion. outbreak. Outbreak is really. Um, Contagion, I think, maybe one of the reasons, it's probably because it's just too, um, um, maybe too realistic. I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow is like patient zero in this. She dies pretty early on in the movie. Anyway, there's a, there's a scene later on. Um, That's why I haven't seen it. Lauren, well, she's only in it for a little while, and she dies, and most of her on-screen time is where she's being autopsied. Um, it could be <laughs> for you. Um, uh, but Morgan, uh, not Morgan Freeman, um, Lawrence Fishburne plays the head of the CDC in this movie. And there comes a moment where this contagion, I want to say it's in Chicago, but I could have my cities mixed up, where they, he's been informed by someone in the government, you know, that, that they're not able to control the spread of this disease and that they're getting ready to close Chicago that the National Guard is rolling in and they're about to close, you know, close access in or out. Ingress, egress is about to go away. Um, people in that position are expected when they're given secret information like that, that under no circumstances are they going to reveal it. It doesn't matter what your personal stake in it is. And I think it's his fiance who was in Chicago at the time and he tells her, and she tells somebody else. He prom- makes her promise, promise me you're not going to tell anyone. And she tells somebody else, and that person tells somebody else. Anyway, he winds up, of course, in big trouble over this because <laughs> he, it was his directly his response. So there's all this um, accusation later about favoritism, about the vaccine and stuff, and it comes up that he warned and because she wasn't his wife at the time, that he warned a friend, a love interest, um, something that wasn't supposed to be told to anyone and had caused problems for the National Guard um, and law enforcement when people got wind of the fact that ahead of time that Chicago was going to be shut down. Anyway, um, and there's the human side of things. We understand him wanting to let his loved ones know. But they typically don't give people access to that kind of information unless they're confident that they're not going to leak it. Because it's why, like if there's a terrorist threat in the city you live in and you're with like Homeland Security and you're working on it, you're not allowed to call your family and tell them, maybe you should get out of town for a few days. It doesn't work like that. And if they don't think you can compartmentalize that shit, they don't give you access to the information. Generally, the people fuck up, but when they fuck up, it's a big deal because it's, and we look at it, we go, but it's so human that you would tell your loved one, but that's not the point. It doesn't matter if it's human. They're supposed to be in this regard, in their ability to deal with that risk. They're supposed to be better than everybody else. They're supposed to, they have a higher responsibility to keeping the secret. And we see it over and over and over again in TV shows, in movies, where people um, reveal information to a loved one under the promise the loved one will keep it secret. 
Um, and it's just that's just not, <laughs> and there's not a whole lot of consequences for them, and that's just not that's not reality. Kyla brings up criminal minds and the anthrax situation that JJ wanted to tell her husband, but she couldn't. Um, there's also an episode early on in Criminal Minds where there is a um, a bombing situation at a mall, um, and mm-hmm. there it's a backpack bomb, and Haley, that's Aaron's wife, is supposed to take Jack for pictures. I think it might have been Christmas pictures, like Santa or something. I don't remember. The pictures at the mall. Um, And en route to the mall to contain the situation, um, Aaron calls his wife and tells her not to go to the mall. He doesn't tell her why. He tells her to stay her ass at home. (laughs) Is that morally ambiguous? Because it's out of two minds. One, he should have had his head in the game. But the other side of it is, is if he thinks his wife and child are in that building, is he even capable of being in the game? Is it better no. to remove no. them from the situation um, so that he can? But sometimes you don't do have that job. Sometimes you don't have that choice. Yeah, sometimes you don't have that choice about. But I don't know. It's. This is where I think of where it's not morally ambiguous, but it is ethically unambiguous. Ethically, it was yeah. wrong. Morally, it's, most people wouldn't have a problem with it. He didn't do anything wrong from a moral perspective. He didn't he protected tell his- her what was going on. He just told her to stay at home. Right. And I think he was in the car with, Der- car with Derek, and Derek was like, you should um, call her. I think Derek supported supported him calling. So that, and mostly so Hotch could have his head in the game. Um and he didn't reveal the information. That is one thing that definitely makes it less of a problem is that he didn't reveal. But he knew. He was the one. I think, I think if I remember the episode correctly, Derek is the one who said it, he should just do it. And Hotch is the one who was like, I can't. I'm not supposed to. And he knew he shouldn't, which is why I think it's an ethical issue and not a moral one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know people think of those things as being synonymous, but they're really not. Um, they can be sometimes there are things that overlap in the ethics slash um, moral area. Um, but I think this is a case when it comes to your duty to your country. He didn't because he didn't tell her. I didn't find it to be a moral issue. He just told her not to be out that day. Well, the thing is, yeah, I mean, you're ethically, ethically, if he knew her to be in that mall, he would have had to take himself off the team at that point. I cannot be involved in this situation. My wife and child are in this building. I'm not capable of making decisions for this mission, whatever you want to call it. So either way, he was going to have a problem. Either he had to clear the deck. And make sure that she was not in that building. Step aside. Because personally, I would have had more of a problem with him if he'd have gone in not knowing whether or not she was there. Because I think that would have compromised his um, his ability to act as a leader. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. And Derek would have been right to say, dude, you're going to have to stay in the car. <laughs> you're currently off the truck. Call your wife because you're done. <laughs> you're going to have to stay in the truck. You're going to have to Blair Sandberger today. <laughs> For real, though, stay in the truck. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, and those are moments that actually humanized Aaron. Because for a lot of ways, Aaron was really stiff and um, regulation-oriented. So early on in the the series, um, moments like that really humanized him and um, opened him up to the audience. Started a line between his own ethics and um, what his, you know, his moral obligation to his wife and child. Um, um, yeah, I agree. So, Actually, but, from a characterization and perspective, it did. But the thing is, it wasn't, they weren't presenting it like it wasn't a problem. So right. You knew it was a, you knew it was a conflict. You knew um, there was an issue. And it was presented that way. And and in the end, he chose the human route, and I, I think it, it informed you a lot about his character. Um, it was an interesting moment for him, I think, as a character. I, I actually really appreciated that, that even that he had a conflict, right? Because I, I, I think it would be really hard to relate to a character who's in that scene and isn't in conflict with themselves. And I think that I would have disliked to. him immensely if he had not called his wife. I think that would have been a turning point for me and for that character. Uh, I don't know. I just um, because they actually you even see his wife and the baby in the first part of that episode, so it kind of circles back because she's talking to him about taking the baby to get these pictures taken, um, as he's getting ready for work or something. So yeah, you, you have a fresh picture of Haley and Jack in your mind as Derek and Aaron are having this conversation in the car. And I think that if, and Aaron, it always struck me as very stiff and stickler and stern. And that Mm -hmm. would have hardened his character for me in a way that I never would have been able to, um, relate to him. Um, after that. So I think it was a really good moment for him. Because it did tell us a lot about who he was as um, as a man, as a husband and a father, um, and that there was a line um, for him when it came to his job. I think that kind of also kind of might have circled back when he kills Foyette because <laughs> you see that that Aaron Hotchner does have a line, and it happens to be Haley and Jack. And he abandons all all reason in that moment. And he beat Foyette to death. I, um, I think that, I do think he abandoned all reason. I think it was compounded. It wasn't just that Haley and Jack were at risk. I think it was compounded by what amounted to a rape experience at Foyette's hands. 
Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. And also, Haley at that point was already dead, and Aaron yeah. was the only thing between Foyette and Jack. And Jack would have been next. So, and he had to know that Jack wasn't going to survive if he didn't do everything he could to disable Foyette, no matter what it cost him. Because Jack was just hiding, just waiting. Um, the guy that played Aaron Hotchner was not on Will and Grace. He was on Dharma and Greg. Dharma and Greg, yeah. Um, Will and Grace was Eric McCormick. I think I might have his last name wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it, um, but yeah, that experience with Foyette, I mean, Foyette, uh, was a serial sexual, was, his crimes were serial sexual homicides. And he used his his knife as his penis, and he raped all of his victims. It, it, there's actually a disorder. Uh, it's a peakerism or something like that. Am I, I was thinking the same my, thing. My, my conflating two things. I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't want to say it and not be sure. But I'm pretty sure that he was a a picker. Yeah, yeah. I think okay, peakerism is. Is sexual interest in penetrating skin of another person with sharp objects such as pens, razors, knives, et cetera. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I was thinking it. I was like, is that it? Is that it? <laughs> so, but yeah. So, yeah. Foyette did rape all his victims, including Aaron. Um, and Aaron in- intellectually knew that. It- his other victims might have not known the depth of, of their violation dead. as. Well, they were dead. As they died? Yeah, well, they died. Yeah. But they might not have known or even understood the, the depth of their violation as they died. But Aaron knew when Foyette was sticking that knife in him exactly what he was doing. And Foyette made it worse, honestly, by taking him to the hospital like he was showing some kind of mercy. Uh, it just—it was just gross. Just mad, it was. It was. It just. Uh, it. No character on TV, I think, actually earned the death they got as much as Foyette did. I, I'm totally with you on that. I'm totally with you there. It's just he was just so detestable. He brought that shit literally on himself. Yeah. And then, which actually because of everything Foyette had done, the kind, the fact that the, the review, it actually then made the, the intense review that, um, and almost, it almost felt vindictive review that the FBI put him, getting Hotchner and his team through. It, it, it I think mostly it was his team they put him through. Because by the time they got to Aaron, None of them were prepared to say that he was out of line. Even even Strauss was like, yeah, okay. Although my favorite, that that episode with the whole thing actually does, it, it did produce my favorite line in all of Criminal Minds canon. 
Ah, that's Dr. Reed, yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to let you know. <laughs> so you don't In case you were wondering. In. <laughs> he was like, boom, boom, and that's Dr. Reed. <laughs> oh. No, Her that line's actually... He might have said it more than once, but he definitely said in the episode with Aaron because he was fit. He he was like he was having none of their shit. Yeah, he didn't usually make a big deal out of the doctors about his title, about the honorific, unless he was pissed at somebody. And um, they usually and he was, did. He was not the respect he thought he deserved. Yeah, and he often. Um, wouldn't do it on his, it wasn't usually on his own behalf. It was usually when something had been done to somebody else. But, uh, yeah, Reed's my favorite character. Um, and, um, all by Penelope. Put Penelope yeah. in slot number two for me. That was my order, Reed and then Penelope. For me, I've yet read Penelope, then Morgan. Um, I'm also very fond of Will. I liked Will, too. So. A, a more understanding man I, I, I rarely have ever seen on TV. He's letting his woman go. Just all, just all He's just supporting the shit out of everything she has to do. Yeah, baby, go on. <laughs> like, whatever you want to do, Mama. His, with with his lovely accent, <laughs> no, he, yeah. he's not in enough episodes. I just love him. He, yeah, yeah. Let's let let's have a Will show, a Will and JJ show. <laughs> Mostly Will. <laughs> spin off. He could be a cop. He is a cop, and they could spin off and do a little little show about him going to work. <laughs> I I thought about writing a a uh, well I not thought about I did I kind of had an idea for a story where Tony and Will are friends like you know they get together for beers on occasion or whatever and you know that make that connection between NCIS and Criminal Minds through Will because of course it figures that Tony hangs out with cops right he's always had more of that mindset that actually would be really cool I look forward to reading it. The idea list is long and the time is limited. <laughs> Someone just sent me an IM and said Contagion was very forgettable. <laughs> I guess they're not in the chat room. Um, it is. I don't know. I don't know what it is about that movie, but it's. It actually is a kind of movie I find interesting and horrifying. Um, because I do worry about, you know, I do worry about the reality of, of diseases getting out of control and how that would handle, oh. be handled. But so if it is the kind of movie I like to watch, so it, it was surprising to me how utterly forgettable I found that one. <laughs> Let me tell you, we got 10 minutes left, um, roughly. Uh, and uh, I went to the stores today. And what I like about grocery stores in particular is that they have a little sanitation section where you can put little things out and wipe your cart, you know, so you don't get anybody else's germs and stuff. Well, Walmart things was out. And I was like, so 
I carry a little can of Lysol in my purse. You know those little travel sizes? Yeah. And I pulled it out and sprayed my stuff down. And shut up, lady holder. As you do. <laughs> As you do. Right? And um, the greeter was looking at me like I was crazy. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't want anybody's shirt. I actually, I have um, I have an autoimmune condition. I mean, fibromyalgia is autoimmune, right? Right? Uh, fibromyalgia is connective tissue, but there's something else. I definitely you've got you've got autoimmune traits. Fibromyalgia is not no, um, but it's okay. it's um. There's definitely you've got all kinds of autoimmune symptoms. It's just the only thing they're prepared to say. There are is right more than one is fibro. There's more than one autoimmune disease, especially lupus, that is a diagnosis of exclusion, which means you get diagnosed with it because they can't figure anything else out. <laughs> that, um, fantastic, fantastic. I know, and you know the thing is, is I I can't um, afford to get sick. And I don't mean that financially. I mean that um, physically. Um, if I get sick, I go from having ten spoons a day to having one, which means getting up to go to the bathroom is just about all I'm capable of. You know, so I can't I can't be getting other people's germs. I got my flu shot as soon as I could. I I just don't want I just don't want the exposure, you know. And we all know how fucking filthy shopping carts are. Oh, so, and if you if you don't know, they're fucking filthy. So <laughs> this is me well, here's telling the thing. you. Actually, carry cash because cash is filthy. It is money gross. is filthy. Is money is so filthy. I avoid having money as much as possible. Um, physical money, you know, I prefer to use my card. Um, I don't like uh, oh, carts are filthy. Number one, you got snotty kids, and you. I, if, if I've seen one kid chew or lick on a handle of a cart, I've seen twenty. That isn't even they the problem. All of them. It, and they sneeze all over them. People don't wash their hands. They go to the bathroom. They change their kid's diaper. They don't wash their hands. You would not believe the literal 90, shit that is on your cart. Literally, 90%, 90% of shopping cart handles tested positive for fecal bacteria. This is not a small statistic. Unless that Just thing saying. is new, like I'm seeing them unwrap it from its packaging, which how often has that ever happened? It's happened to me once, actually, and it wasn't like they were wrapping for packaging. They were unloading them from a truck. Unless it's brand new, I'm not touching that fucking thing without it being wiped down. And if I absolutely have to, I keep a supply, my own personal supply, of hand sanitizing wipes in the car because gross. Well, I also have some wipes in my purse, but the Lysol was handier. But, the but yeah, no, I, no. I, I just being paranoid, loyalty. Ray, because cart are nasty. They're disgusting. Um, uh, stores that provide the little dispenser with the shopping cart wipes, they like get in some instant loyalty points for me because they provide it. And that. the only thing better than the wipes in the front with the carts are the wipes in the meat section. If your grocery store does not have hand sanitizer wipes in their meat section, do not shop there at all. Ugh. Because packages leak so you've got chicken juice and beef juice all over your hands, all over the cart. That's 
that wisteria and salmonella and just come on, people. Trust us, it's bad news. Use your hand sanitizer. Keep a hand sanitizer in your purse. Go to the travel section of Walmart or Target. Get you some Lysol. We're not trying to give you Don't. nightmares. Honestly, we're not. We're just saying this is this is actually just good hygiene when you're um, when you're out, and when it when it comes to your meat, don't be be careful with your meat. Use the bags they give you to put the meat in. Um, don't put your meat in the same bags with your other groceries, and don't let anybody do that if they're going to um, uh, bag for you. Uh, Carry an insulated bag to the grocery store for your meat. If you carry no other bags, carry an insulated bag so you can keep your meat as cold as possible until you get it home. Because the warmer your meat gets to and from your house, the more likely you are to make yourself sick. Also, if you're not putting your raw meat into those little produce bags that are supplied in the meat department, I don't even want to talk to you. Don't tell me. Don't tell me if you're not bagging your meat. Do it. That's why they're there. I, it's because meat is is disgustingly unsanitary. I buy, I will buy prepackaged. I will also buy from the counter. But I have to be careful buying from the counter because I have food allergies. And several of the grocery stores that I frequent have their seafood and their beef. It's, it's, it's separated, of course. But it's all across the same thing. And I watched a girl fill somebody's order. And she went from... She went from pork to beef to seafood in the same pair. Lord have mercy. And I was like, I was in line. The girl needs Jesus. And and she's like, can I help you? And I was like, no, can, can, are you, um, is there, is the meat management department guy here? And she's like, yeah. I said, can I speak with him? And, um. She said, "Okay." So she goes like, to get him, and I any come over you. And I wonder. I, I took him over to here, and I said, oh, "Look, you know, I, I tried to be a bitch." <laughs> he laughed, and he knows me, because um, I will be the first one to bring him expired something from the shelf. Because I can't stand it. I can't leave it there. If I find something that's been expired, I have to take it to him. Because a lot of people, old people, can't see the dates, and they'll get sick. Because they don't pay, they they can't read the dates because of a physical limitation, or they just don't pay attention. Um, and food poisoning in the elderly can kill them. So, anyways, I said, dude, she went from beef to pork to seafood. I'm talking the clams in the same pair of gloves. He went, what? <laughs> I said, now I I actually need um, a pound of sirloin. And um, ground sirloin, and I need some those stuffed pork chops, but I'd very much like you to get them from the back. <laughs> so he went and got my stuff from the back and brought it to me. And when I w- went by back later, she was not out serving people. So I mean, I don't. It was not my intention to get her fired, but what she was doing was creating a situation where someone like me, who has an allergy to shellfish, she could get me killed. Well, and you know, she probably wasn't fired. Those usually, most companies, unless somebody's a repeat offender, is they take them off duty and they they give them retraining. Um, they make right. them stop that activity immediately, and then they retrain them because 
there. I mean, if chicken had been involved, she could have had a mass um, spreading salmonella. I mean, raw chicken, if she'd been doing yeah. that, shenanigans. I mean, you're talking about, in this case, you're dealing with an allergy that could have gotten somebody killed. But if she had spread um, salmonella to all different meats, um, you could have gotten a lot of people killed. So especially since a lot of people don't cook their beef completely. Anyway, we're down to a minute. (laughs) That was my grocery woe. I... Um, I'm very particular about it. And so um, a lot of times I actually prefer prepackaged meat, especially if there's somebody behind the counter that I don't know well, because I can trust the prepackaged meat. I'm not going to buy beef that's been prepackaged in the same factory that does frozen shellfish. It's unlikely. Because they're just different, different lanes, you know? Anyways. Yeah. If that's not true, don't tell me. <laughs> You guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Say goodnight, Julie. Goodnight, everyone.